0: welcome to the aco show this is joe shankweiler i lead adoption and training here at Alidaid. and i'm very pleased to be joined today by one of our regular guests ahmed hawk ahmed is the senior vice president for network performance and strategy at allidade thanks for joining us ahmed thank you for having me now your your title network performance and strategy is certainly all-encompassing and definitely relevant to the day-to-day work that's happening out in our markets but I'd like to focus on the performance aspect uh, today. Can you give us a a short rundown of what what performance means as it relates to your role at Allidate and the team that you have?
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, in my role, I work with all of our ACOs across the country. Uh, We are about 595 practices around the country. representing 27 different states. And in my role, uh, I am responsible for making sure that our practices and the ACOs in which they belong are performing uh, to uh, the highest levels possible. And this is uh, on quality uh, utilization and cost. And we have contracts, not just in the Medicare fee-for-service program, Pathways to Success, and the Medicare Shared Savings Program, but uh, also various value-based contracts with uh, Medicaid and commercial and Medicare
0: Advantage payers as well. So performance in the context of those relationships with the various payers, how do we perform against predetermined and agreed upon metrics and standards that we need to meet?
1: That's right, Um, Allidate is not in the fee-for-service business. We're entirely focused on value-based care. So in our role, uh, we not only work with uh, independent uh, primary care practices and community health centers, uh, we're also working with uh, local and national payers uh, to develop value-based contracts where we bring efficiencies Uh, to the patients and the lives under management under each of those contracts. And so what that means is for each of our uh, patients for which um, we have taken the responsibility, uh, we provide the utmost uh, best care uh, on quality. Uh, We wanna keep patients healthy and at home and ultimately drive down uh, total cost of care on those patients. And when we do reduce the total cost of care on those patients, not only are we bringing better health and outcomes to our patients, but we're also bringing um, favorable economics through value back to our practices.
0: And given all the factors that play into how we perform on those contracts as a company and how our, our practices and ACOs perform, what... How do you distill that down? What's the what are the top line messages? Do we do we focus on fifty different things, on ten different things? Like, what's the like? How do you keep everybody aligned with such a broad mission on the performance side?
1: Absolutely. Um, in a typical practice, we find about ten to twenty percent of the patient population in any given practice is. Uh, Medicare fee for service. And then you'll have X percentage that are commercial. And even those commercial lives are insured by various uh, commercial payers. Uh, and then we also have Medicaid and, and other uh, uh, publicly or privately insured uh, patients. And in some cases, you have uh, uninsured patients as well. And in this uh, capacity, we want to make sure that we're not doing Different types of care for different types of patients, um, and bringing alignment is uh, very, very important. So what Allade does is we're a full full stack organization, and we bring wraparound services, making sure that we bring actionable data and a population health management software, and we're bringing the right playbook and the right boots on the ground support to make sure that uh, the practices are getting. Uh, the right support, the right information, to focus on the right type of interventions. And we're developing one set of workflows that can impact all of the patients uh, in the the office. Now, in order to achieve our quality and utilization and cost goals uh, in terms of performance, we wanna make sure that we're developing the right interventions, Uh, that allows us to bring maximum value to our patients and maximum value to the practices without this um, uh, stretching the practice capacity too thin. And so what we uh, really focus on uh, over the first few years of of an ACO is what we call the core four. Um, And this is really focusing on properly assessing uh, patients' health uh, and needs. Uh, This is proactively reaching out to patients to better manage their care and keep them healthy and at home. And this means proactively reaching out to patients as they're coming out of the emergency department, uh, hospital or other healthcare uh, providers and facilities, and safely managing the transitions of those Uh, of of that care. And so really focusing on risk and risk assessment, really focusing on wellness visits, uh, focusing on ED, emergency department follow-up, and then also our hospital uh, follow-up as well, very important. And um, there's a lot under each one of those uh, four buckets, uh, but at the highest level,
0: those are our core four that we focus on. The Core Four has become such a mantra uh, at Allade. I, I I know this is a podcast, so folks can't see what I'm wearing, but I am actually wearing a Core Four T-shirt today from the from the Medical Director uh, event that we had a couple months ago. So it's definitely become a uh, something that we refer to very often um, at Allade, and and your team is is leading the way with that.
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're not
0: wearing a Core 4 t shirt. Not today. Okay. Tomorrow. Yeah. That'll be the, it's your Friday shirt. Um, so, you know, the, the, what we haven't touched upon yet, uh, given the timing of this uh, podcast is what's happening all over the world now uh, with regards to the uh, COVID 19 outbreak. And it's, it's having impacts you know, globally on a variety of economies and, and individual businesses and, and people's lives. Um, you know, we were both sitting in our homes doing uh, this podcast right now, where usually we would be in our makeshift studio um, at at Allidate headquarters in, in Maryland. Um, but has this, you know, monumental event uh, impacted our priorities um, and how we think about performance at uh, at Alliday?
1: Great question. We are most certainly in unprecedented times uh, and and this extraordinary event of uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19 has uh, impacted everyone's lives, not not just here in Maryland uh, or the US, but really worldwide. Um, And one thing that I'm extremely proud of is when we first started Alidaid and we sat down to develop our playbook for the very first time, we developed it with such a strong foundation and such a strong infrastructure where our guiding principle was that anything that's good for providers must also be good for patients and good for society. And that has really set the tone and set the foundation for all of the work that we do uh, here at Allidade and really helps solidify our position that uh, we will not focus on anything uh, that is harmful to patients or providers or society. And that alignment has been uh, very instrumental in us developing our various initiatives or developing our population health management software or any work that we have done um, or have asked our practices uh, to work on to improve their workflows and so as we um, are in this covid era um, your question is a good one have we made any fundamental changes or pivots the answer is no Um, quite frankly the work that we've been focused on before COVID is very much the work that we're focused on um, in this time period of COVID. We're still focused on calling every single patient, making sure that they're okay, making sure that they're feeling well, making sure that they have medications and enough medication supply, which they're adhering to, and generally following up to see how they're doing and whether they have everything at home. Uh, We are proactively reaching out to our high risk patient population as well, making sure that their care is being managed and coordinated effectively. We're still managing all of our patients that are transitioning from one healthcare setting to another, making sure that that's happening in the safest way possible. Um, And other interventions that we have as part of our playbook. Uh, What has changed is how we deliver on, on our services, most certainly. Uh, in an era where patients are being patients and everyone else are being asked to um, stay at home,
0: and that that delivery, how has that changed um, when you can't see folks in the office every day um, like you're used to doing as an independent primary care physician, which is our um, our 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 partners all all across the country who are, I should say, at the front the front lines of this. Of really fighting this outbreak, um, it's really inspiring to see them. So, how has that, how's that changed the way they deliver this uh, vital service?
1: You know, again, the foundation of a primary care doctor is to, um, you know, have taken that oath to make sure that uh, they are um, on the side of the patient uh, and they're caring for their patient and. Um, They're going to see through the health of their patients and whether uh, it's in person in the office visit or seeing the patient out in the parking lot while the patient is still in their car or whether the provider is going to the patient's home to see them or adopting this uh, newer technology uh, through telemedicine, telehealth. Um, all of those are avenues that we are implementing right now to make sure that we're continuing uh, to proactively and reactively uh, see our
0: patients. Do you think that we're going to see a lasting change? You know, something like telehealth, which you referenced, which is just one component of the way um, our our you know, exceptional uh, providers and physicians and everyone out in the the communities. Uh, are are navigating this. But do you think that's going to be a lasting change on the telehealth side, that we're going to see more and more telehealth visits?
1: I believe so, yes. Uh, we, we had to go through a hard pivot uh, with paper records transitioning to EHRs. Uh, and for better or worse, um, that process uh, really instituted Uh, a new way of doing things in medical practices. Uh, And uh, the benefits of that are are becoming more and more known of electronically uh, enabling practices. Uh, I think what we'll see here with Telem Health is uh, continuing to bring uh, healthcare to patients. As as opposed to bringing patients um, into the healthcare setting, and I think this is going to bring more efficiencies, both uh, within healthcare and most special and most certainly within our medical practices. Uh, we're going to see more efficiencies along those lines. Now we may see patients that are uh, young and healthy, um, uh, very uh, technologically savvy. Uh, that may want to continue to only see their doctor via telehealth uh, going into the future. Uh, we may see uh, our elder, more, more frail uh, patients uh, who have a hard time leaving their home and uh, getting in the car and coming to see their doctor. Telemedicine, telehealth may be a very good solution for them. Uh, I do think that we're going to have some percentage of patients that are going to continue to want to see their patient uh, physicians in the office, their providers in the office. We're going to continue to have providers that are going to want to see some of their patients, even if it's less frequently in person. Uh, but I do think uh, telehealth is here to stay.
0: I'm thinking about the the banking industry and how technology has uh, changed uh, in in many ways. And what I'm thinking of is like the brick and mortar bank interactions that there are still folks that want to go in and, and cash a check with a teller, with a deposit slip um, because that feels the most secure. Now, likely, fewer and fewer people along the way are going to want to do that, but some will want to. Um, and others are going to want to deposit the checks from the app on their phone or an ATM. Um, and that's what they're that's what they're comfortable doing, and I. It sounds like you're on the camp that we're going to see more of a range, even in in the community practices, um, than we have been seeing in terms of technology enabling uh, those processes from for taking root.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing it more as the open highway concept of uh, we're going to see more uh, patients. Getting comfortable with seeing their primary care doctor more frequently, um, as long as we make it easier uh, for patients to see their providers, uh, whether it's on a more frequent basis, but more on a more timely basis, uh, for sure. So, in this open highway concept, you know, we are moving away from, you know, uh, seeing uh, six, eight, ten toll booths on a highway. Uh, to to six and four and two uh, and making this open concept where you have this easy pass and you don't even need to slow down, let alone stop to pay uh, and you zoom right through. Um, And very similarly, I think we're gonna continue to have bricks and mortars. And I think we're gonna continue to have patients that need to see their doctors in person as they should. Uh, But I think what we will see in the years to come uh a a much more uh rapid pace almost like a electronic version of urgent care if you will that hey i have this rash or i feel this bump or I'm you know i may have a, a cough or a scratchy throat and i need to get on the phone with my provider and you're not taking time off of work uh maybe if anything you're closing the door in your office to hop on a Uh, video call with your doctor uh, and be much more efficient both on the practice and and on the patient's end.
0: What about the actual metrics? Um, You said that our priorities haven't shifted as a company and and your team is still tracking the same priorities. Um, Are are you thinking about the same, hitting the same numbers? Um, And as a follow-up, how do you think those priorities and the way we interact with let's say commercial payers um, where we are renegotiating contracts how do you think things like telehealth um, as a access expander will play into to those discussions
1: it's quite fascinating this uh this COVID era it's uh forcing uh medical practices to change rapidly It's also forcing uh, technology providers uh, to change rapidly. And it's making our insurance companies uh, to change reimbursement uh, and payment policies uh, very rapidly. I mean, we're literally seeing uh, as we sit here on on April 2nd, uh, almost on a daily basis, we're getting changes to uh, CPT. Codes and uh, reimbursement uh, methodologies, and changes in what re- gets reimbursed as an office visit versus a virtual visit, and bringing parity uh, to telehealth visits uh, in line with in-person visits, and I, and this this rapid speed at which healthcare is catching up uh, to 2020, the year 2020 is is quite remarkable uh, to to watch. Um, I think what we're going to continue to see here is uh, uh, a, an alignment, a better alignment of uh, workflows and technology and with with payment. And this parity is really important because what you don't want is there to be a disproportionate incentive uh, leaning towards uh, bringing patients into the office when patients can be more safely seen through telehealth. And I think the payment alignment part of it is is extremely important. Um, Believe it or not, sometimes we all have a tendency of believing that the government moves a lot slower than the private sector. But in the case of uh, insurance, CMS has been the front runner uh, and we're seeing uh, lots of progressive uh, changes coming from them. Making sure that our providers are getting uh, the right sort of regulatory changes, the right sort of programmatic changes, to make sure that they're not financially impacted during the during the era of COVID. And I suspect um, that our uh, regional and national commercial payer partners uh, will follow suit.
0: Yeah, I I think that. That makes a lot of sense to me, especially given the, the demands of the moment and everybody trying to meet that, whether they're commercial payers or the the government. Um, one thing that I'm struck by, and, and, and you laid it out really nicely, how forces um, come together at a certain time and place to empower a movement like that. And I'm thinking about technology in the 20th century in particular, where the... Um, you know, you had to go through these stages of having a certain number of transistors on a microchip, and then connecting individual computers that contain those microchips in local networks, and then being able to connect them over, you know, countries and oceans via the the internet, and then making that bandwidth available uh, globally. And cheap storage through cloud computing, and what that has gotten us to today, such that our phones are as powerful as the computers that sent people to the moon in the 60s. Um, and healthcare, um, as you referenced, has been consistently behind uh, on that process. You know, Jonathan Bush, the former CEO of Athena Health, used to refer to bringing the internet to healthcare because he had a cloud based. Electronic health record um, that he was that he started uh, at Athena Health, and that was you know a significant innovation then. And it sort of feels like one of those moments now, um, not via regulatory mechanism like um, meaningful use, but by circumstance. Um, And I am I am curious how this will persist beyond this moment. I think some of the things will be tough to walk back, even if they wanted to. In terms of access in your home and availability of um, seeing a doctor anywhere, um, is there anything that strikes you as particularly temporary um, in your world? Whether it's a, a reimbursement model or or a technology that you're like, ah, I, I will be surprised if that persists beyond this this flare up um, of the of the COVID outbreak.
1: I uh, I still. Vividly remember in the 90s, uh, I my my job was to work with uh, various hospitals in the Chicagoland area to deploy uh, uh, Windows-based uh, personal computers uh, in across the hospital in various departments, the lab and and other departments within the hospital. And this was replacing uh, dummy terminals and mainframes with actual personal computers, with software uh, that connected to servers. And the introduction of these large uh, you know, TV screens monitors, and back then there were no flat screens, they were all big monitors that occupied a lot of counter space. And the computer tower itself and the uh, amount of uh, uh, stress having this machine sitting in various departments across the hospital cause was was extraordinary and uh speaking with administrators speaking with providers nurses and hospitals uh there was a it was met with a lot of uh un- unwelcomeness if you will uh having this new piece of technology because they felt it as uh, additional work that was, uh, was going to be added by just having a computer. And little did we all know, uh, just a few years later, we would have the introduction of the electronic health record system. And so uh, whenever that was, 15 years later or so, when I was at the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT at the US Department of Health and Human Services, um, we were responsible for rolling out uh, ONC-certified EHR systems to 140,000 providers across the country. Um, And having led that work for us and having the providers not just adopt the EHRs, but attest to meaningfully using those EHRs, Uh, Again, it was met with some resistance, um, but also a large swath of providers that understood how this is going to, while it may be painful immediately in the short term, it is going to bring some efficiencies long term. And I can see this as my my third wave with telehealth of what we once thought was impossible uh, and that healthcare cannot be transformed. Uh, it is very much as you had described, a, uh, a banker teller relationship and every Saturday morning or, or whatever, you would walk in and fill out your deposit slip and stand in line. Um, healthcare is changing. And I think this is just another chapter in that change. I am very hopeful that um, once uh, this COVID-19 passes, that Medicare, CMS, and other payers do not turn back the the payments that they're setting up, the reimbursement systems that they're they're setting up. I think they should continue to encourage it uh, where we continue to provide good, proactive patient care and get paid uh, as a result of it. I really do think uh, this is going to further enable us as a country uh, to improve our health outcomes uh, as well as um, not be the costliest healthcare system in the world.
0: Ahmed, I know that much of what we do is measured in the total cost of care for an individual patient or groups of patients that that, that are part of the practices that make up our accountable care organizations or ACOs. Um, you know, logic would tell us that an outbreak like this, and a lot of folks unfortunately going to the hospital, would increase costs across the board um, and you look closely at costs, um, you know, quarter on quarter, month on month um, in your role, how do you see this impacting costs for the remainder of 2020?
1: Excellent question. Um, well, first and foremost, um, majority of our uh, Alliedates ACOs are um in the new pathways to success program and under pathways to success uh lots of our uh a majority of our benchmark is really based on um, how we perform regionally uh, as opposed to nationally so there's a lot of protections that we have built in uh to the new benchmarking methodology that cms has introduced uh where we are not going to be negatively impacted uh based on what happens nationally and the healthcare trends regionally, uh, we feel we're gonna be protected by. On top of that, majority of our ECOs are also in two-sided risk models where we are now watching more than ever very carefully, uh, not just how much further we can reduce total cost of care, but whether costs are gonna trend the other way uh, this year due to uh, COVID-19. it's a great question. Uh, I, I think there's uh, uh, several things to watch. First of all, um, how many patients are uh, just going to stay home and call their doctor uh, and, and speak with their physician and provider over the phone or via telehealth and receive um, the care, necessary care that they need. We're also watching very carefully how many admissions uh, our um, our patients' uh, admissions are to the emergency department. We're watching very carefully admissions into uh, inpatient hospital bed. Uh, we're watching very carefully um, what what the what the reasons are for patients entering into the ER or to the hospital, uh, whether they have influenza-like symptoms, um, and uh, And so that's one thing to watch. The other thing we've been seeing quite clearly is a number of elective procedures and surgeries, um, specialist visits, et cetera, being canceled or being uh, rescheduled. I think that'll have uh, an impact as well. Maybe initially it'll look favorable from a cost standpoint, um, uh, but many of those elective procedures are being not canceled, but rescheduled? So are we just pushing healthcare costs out uh, into the future? And uh, so I think what we're gonna see a lot of is uh, healthcare costs as a pattern, that pattern may look very differently in 2020 and 2021 because of COVID. Um, And in terms of costs, again, I feel like we here at Allidate because Mm -hmm uh of the work that we've done historically practices have done historically uh in the uh, acos that we're in and the level level of risk that we're taking and the benchmark methodology that we have uh largely uh we are protected um but you know at the end of the day we're in this uh, era today where patients are really worried and patients are looking for their doctor uh, to provide them with the best guidance and support. And we are uh, not shifting our playbook. Our playbook is going to continue to be uh, reach out to every patient, treat every patient like their mom. And uh, that is that is our general philosophy, and that's how it will continue to be. And so in speaking over the last couple of weeks, I've spoken with uh, a, quite a few number of our physicians and providers uh, across the 27 states and they are first and foremost worried about their patients Uh, they want the ppe so that they can continue to provide patient care they're worried about uh, patient volume and financials in their offices because they want the resources to continue to provide patient care and whether it's telehealth or telephone or in person or in the home Uh, Or in the office, they're continuing uh, to be who they are superheroes, primary care doctors, caring for their patients. And so, while we do, I do have my ears close to the ground in terms of healthcare costs and what that's going to do. I do believe that as long as we continue to stick to our principles of staying close and keeping our patients close and caring for them, that at the end of the day, uh, we will we will be successful in both patient outcomes and in terms of reducing total cost of care uh, to receive shared savings in our various ACO contracts.
0: Ahmed Hawks, Allidade's Senior Vice President of Network Performance and Strategy. Thanks for joining me on the ACO Show. Thank you for having me.